What up, everybody? I'm going to initiate a call to action for everyone to donate $1.99 so that you can access the back catalog of the podcast as well as to help your podcast grow. I'm trying to grow the podcast and I want to do that with you guys and make it better and brighter and bring you more information. So if you want to access the back catalog and help support me as an artist, I appreciate you. And please donate at anchor.fm underneath Lockdown Universe. Thanks so much and enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify. The global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. What up, what up, what up? Welcome back to Lockdown Universe, home of the bizarre, peculiar, and unheard of stories of UFO, legend, and paranormal lore. Welcome back, welcome back. Happy to be back. Hopefully you guys are doing well and taking care of yourselves. So today I found, not necessarily today, it was actually kind of like yesterday or the day before, I had come across something that was really, really, really super cool and I really want to share with you guys um, and kind of go through some of the artifacts that they have at this museum now this museum is located in washington dc and it's called the spy museum that's right the spy museum the international spy museum actually because it has artifacts from russia china and europe and all over but it also has of course united states spy equipment as well so what is it right so um it's an independent non-for-profit even though it costs, you know, I think it's like 25 bucks I saw on there at least uh, to get in. But it's a not-for-profit museum which documents the tradescraft, history, and contemporary role of espionage. It holds the largest collection of international espionage art artifacts on display. And it opened in 2002 in the Penn Quarter neighborhood of Washington, D.C., and then are relocated to a new expanded building with all new exhibitions at La Enfant Plaza in 2019. Now, this building, you guys, is amazing. It it looks futuristic. Now, I mean, and it looks so cool. It has, like, these huge red lines. It's the size of a baseball stadium. It's black. It's, like, trapezoid-looking. It almost looks like an, uh, an alien spacecraft. That's how cool it looks, man. I mean, it's really cool. You can check it out if you want. But um, the whole mission of the museum is to create compelling exhibitions uh, and other learning experiences. So it's not just like, hey, we're going to show you stuff. We're going to actually teach you stuff, too. Um, so they have learning experiences that are interactive um, that sh shed light on the shadow world of espionage and intelligence um, and they educate and challenge each of us to engage critically with the complex world around us. Now, I was wondering who like initiated this because you know this whole museum. Because I was like, well, who's it run by? Is it run by like the CIA or something? Like, seems seems weird that they would make a museum, right? They don't probably want you know a bunch of their information to get out. But it's run by a board of uh, ex intelligence officers, actually. 
It has a board of directors that has highly respected professionals from the intelligence community, government, and business community. So if we kind of can click on this and we can learn who the founding individual is. The founding individual is Mr. Milton Maltz, the founder of the International Spy Museum. And uh, he is a, uh, he, he founded a communications group. Um, he also went to Harvard. And then there's uh, some other board members that are current. Um, uh, Mr. John Avalos, 24 years experience with public and private sectors uh, of business development. He has expertise in defense, intelligence, and civil markets. He currently serves as chief operating officer at SOSI, which is a leading day-to-day -day operations uh, group for the company. So, like, it, what's cool is, like, it's not just, like, a bunch of business folks. It actually is some guys that have been on the inside or are continuing to work on the inside. Um, <coughs> and they have some media folks, too, you know, because obviously this is a little bit of media. Um, but the reason I wanted to bring this up was because the stuff that they have in the spy museum directly correlates to a lot of alien espionage stuff that, you know, getting alien tech out of other countries. They use some of these pieces of artifacts and equipment um, in the spy world, and they actually have a lot of this stuff online, so you don't even have to go to Washington, D.C. if you don't have the money to do it or the time to do it, or you just don't want to go, uh, you know, and you just want to be home and check it out. So, like, obviously there's some stuff there that's interactive and you want to go see. Um, but if you go on their website, you can check out some of these artifacts. And I'm going to talk about a couple, couple of these artifacts. I mean, they got like eight pages of artifacts on here, but like the number one, uh, artifact, the very first one, which I think is super cool is a 1965 KGB artifact called the lipstick pistol. And they have pictures of it. Now this lipstick pistol looks like a silvery cased lipstick right to the average person but if you look closer you can tell that this thing might have something more to it uh the lipstick pistol according to the website uh was used by the kgb operatives during the cold war and it was 4.5 millimeters now think about that that's half the size of a nine millimeter nine millimeters still relatively thick bullet but a 4.5 millimeters much smaller but apparently it was enough to kill someone because it was a single shot weapon. It wasn't a multiple shot. It didn't have multiple bullets. It didn't have enough room for that. How do you fire something that's a cylinder if it doesn't have a trigger? Well, that is the key. You see, after they were able to slip this past even the most suspicious of border guards or any guards that were at any facility, uh, they were able to press the barrel into the victim. And that is how you triggered the bullet. You pressed it into the victim, and it would shoot the bullet into your victim. So wherever you press it in, that's your kill shot. So, you know, you you're, you want to hit something that's going to kill them. Um, a lot of bullets, they might bounce around if you're lucky, you know, if you're, you know, you're trying to assassinate or take out somebody or whatever the case is. Um, but some bullets might go all the way through. So you got to hit something that's vital. Kidney, spine, heart whatever the case is, right? Head, you know? Um, so literally you could give them what this lipstick was called or re referred to as the kiss of death. I find this absolutely fascinating. It's on display in the covert action gallery. 
used by the KGB and the USSR in the 1960s, man. You gotta love that because, you know, just think about that. I mean, like, I don't know as if there'd be a lot of men that could carry around like a lipstick and get away with it. But hey, if you have, if you got a female operative, right, she can get in there. She can be like pretending to do her lipstick and pop somebody and just walk right out. And they could, you know, pat you down and whatever and be like, I don't have a weapon. And they can see you have lipstick, obviously. I mean, the genius is that like this stuff was out in the 60s, man. So like, you know. You know, this stuff was probably developed in the 50s. It had to take them, you know, a little bit of time to get this together and then make it operable. So I find that piece of equipment truly fascinating. Um, they've got some other really, really cool stuff here. They got this thing called a pigeon camera from 1917 to 1918. So it was in World War II or World War One. I apologize. Uh, so this pigeon camera was created in Germany. And... Uh, during World War I, pigeons were outfitted with tiny cameras and released over enemy territory. As the birds were flying, the cameras would click away, repeatedly snapping photos. Since the early days of espionage, the pigeons have always been a spy's best friend, right? <coughs> they can carry messages. They can, they can be your best friend for a lot of reasons. They could provide cover if there's a bunch of them. You can just kind of push your little uh, James Bond um, umbrella at them, and they could give you some cover as you're trying to get away. Um, <clears throat> but pigeons are distinguished by their speed and ability to return back home in any weather and carry precious tiny cargo. So during both of the World Wars, radio communication was often unreliable, and the troops could count on a pigeon. So... Hundreds of thousands of carrier pigeons were sent through enemy fire, and 95% completed their missions. That's a damn good percentage of success rate, isn't it? You know, so pigeons continued their service throughout the world wars, not all the way through the 1950s, earning more medals of honor than any other animal. I find that fascinating. But they got a picture of a pigeon with a replica of this pigeon carrier. So fantastic, man. Um, I, I think it's it's so small. I mean, like 1917, man. I mean, this is like 100 years ago. And they had a small freaking camera on a pitch. I mean, this is like satellite communication almost to a degree, right? Like you have, I mean, and I shouldn't say satellite because that's more technology. But I mean, you know, you have aerial photography, you know, and you, you can bring it back and you re can receive that intelligence. You don't need to fly uh, you know, a drone over uh, enemy territory with the likelihood of it getting shot down, uh, or at least the potential of, you can just have your buddy the pigeon fly over it and return home. You ever think what a pigeon might be thinking of as it's flying over enemy territory? Do they have a, a feeling of, like, honorability and national pride and that kind of thing? Or do they, do they even know what they're doing? I mean, they must know. To a, a certain degree, they may not know, you know, who they're serving or what the case is, but they know that they want you, they want you want your stuff back, and they bring it back to you. I find that completely, completely fascinating. Um, <laughs> I may get into this other one at some point. I'm not going to say that they have some pretty 
Oof, nitty gritty stuff here. I'll do another podcast about that and I'll make it specific so that if people want to go uh, past it and not listen to it, because uh, it's going to entail some eh, sketchy, not sketchy, but like um, some some private matters maybe uh, <laughs> for a spy. Um, something that's really cool is a, uh, a wristwatch camera that was a Steinbeck ABC wristwatch camera used in 1949 in West Germany. Um, so this cleverly disguised sub-miniature camera was placed inside of a watch. And it was a wristwatch. And, you know, it, was, it looked like it was <clears throat> designed with multiple colors. Uh, blue, red, yellow, right? Your primaries. And at first glance, it just looks like a stylish rich wrist watch. But if you look closely, you can see it's a miniature camera. An agent would carefully aim the camera while pretending to check the time. Um, as This may not be an easy feat since there was no viewfinder. It's just like you aim and you hopefully get your shot. Um, but you would press a button on the watch and it would snap a photo. Um, it was a product of post-war Germany. And was especially good for photographing, photographing, I'm sorry, uh, photography or photographing, uh, secret meetings, private conversations, and other close encounters. And its film disc, which was only about an inch across, could produce eight exposures. Eight exposures in a freaking wristwatch in 1949. Okay, that's 70 years ago. 72, uh, 73 years ago? Almost 74 years ago? Think about the tech that we have now. 74 years ago, you're, you're three quarters of a century ago, and they have freaking wristwatches with cameras on it, dude. Think about that for a second. We didn't even have cell phones with cameras on it until like 2000. Okay? Mind-blowing, right? But we know that we're like 50 years behind the government on any tech, right? So, like, that's what's really mind-blowing. Um... Let's keep going. I'm having fun with this. Let me find another good one that's that's appropriate spy tech for you guys. They have... Ooh, this is pretty cool. This is a U.S. spy weapon called the glove pistol. So the glove pistol. So what's the advantage of concealing a gun inside a glove? Armed with a glove pistol, an operative has both hands free and the weapon at the ready. To fire the pistol, the wearer pushed the plunger into the attacker's body. Again, just like that lipstick uh, pistol. But the lipstick pistol, remember, that was from the USSR. This is from the United States Navy, uh, 1942 to 1945. So I find that fascinating. Um, <coughs> what's, uh, what's cool about this is, you know, this is like a construction glove, okay? This is like, you know, a really tough glove, and then it's got the... the kind of like a pistol thing on the outside. Uh, it doesn't look like a pistol. It just looks like, like a piece of metal. Um, so it could be kind of concealable to some degree. Um, if you were going to do uh, some construction work, right, undercover at a facility, and you needed a weapon that could be easily used, and maybe you could, like, rip it off and toss it, toss away, right? Whatever the case is, <clears throat> you could do your work, Keep this thing on you at all times, and if somebody suspected you of doing something wrong, boom, you got a gun right away. You don't even have to reach for one. You got it on your fists, and all you got to do is 
grab the guy, push your wrist into him, and he's plugged. So uh, this is particularly useful because there, I just listened to a guy episode where Richard Doty talked about some of our spies going into Kapustin Yar, which is the Russian Area 51, and these guys were going in and and doing construction. They were they were pretending that they were a construction company from West Germany. And they would go in and they'd be doing some work and da-da-da-da-da, and they'd be trying to get some spy information while they were doing that. Well, guess what? If you've got construction gloves and a pistol, bada-bing, bada-boom, you're on your way, right? Like, you can... You can at least protect yourself and try to get away. Uh, so I think that one's really cool. Another really cool one is a camera that's concealed in a cigarette lighter uh, that was made in Eastern Europe from the 60s to the 70s. They have this on file. Um, let's take a look at this thing. This thing's pretty cool. So what this looks like, okay, if you can imagine um, a Zippo lighter without the top cover. Um, that opens up to allow you to access the flame and the, and the, the, the switch. So these were very common back in the sixties and seventies. There was no cover on the tops. They just had the flint and the, and the, the trigger and the, the flame, uh, components right at the very top. So that's what this one looks like with the exception of the very bottom of it, having a slip, a slip gate, like a little, a little piece of metal on the very bottom that uh, could be slipped and moved over, exposing a little camera that was built inside. And so you had your lens right right built in. So you could walk around, you could pretend like you're, you know, smoking a cigarette or whatever, da-da-da-da-da. And uh, guess what? You can take a picture while you're smoking your cigarette, right? Click, 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 click. You could be holding it up to your, your cigarette and just taking a few pictures, click, 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 click. And da 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 da. You got your got your your intel, and you can roll out. And if anybody asks you, well, you just clip close that flap, and yeah, it's just a little, just a little cigarette lighter. Eastern Europe, uh, I love it, man. This this is like this is like my new favorite thing right now. Um, okay, the OSS. All right, so we got some bicycle bicycle cards. You guys ever played poker with bicycle cards? They have bicycle escape map cards. 1944 from the OSS. Let's take a look at these bad boys here. So during World War II, U.S. playing card company joined forces with the American and British intelligence agencies to create a deck and help allied prisoners of war escape German camps. This is fascinating. When the Ace of Spades is soaked in water, it separates to reveal a piece of the map inside. An agent would need more cards to piece together a whole map. To date, decks of cards, decks of these cards are said to have helped at least 32 people escape the Kolditz Castle and prompted some 316 escape attempts. No one knows for sure how many decks were produced, but the only two known surviving decks are at the Spy Museum. And these decks are cool there. They have them here and they have kind of like, I don't, I'm sure these are replica, um, but they have, they have how, how it would open up if you placed the ace of spades and maybe some of the other cards in water, it would flip open to show you a map and some escape routes. And they have, they have pictures of it here. Fascinating stuff, man. Like this is why, this is why I love 
doing what I do on the podcast. When I come across stuff like this, that's just like so unique, so interesting. It has so much rich history. Like I just, I, I just like fanboy over it. Cause it's just so dang cool. So, um, I will bring you <clears throat> a few more in the next podcast. Cause I like to keep them short and digestible for you. Um, and I will be back with another one. So what do you guys think? Is there some spy device that you would want to make um, now in today, 2022, coming up on 2023, that would be uber helpful? We'll get into some of the more updated pieces of spy tech in the next episode. So I hope you guys are taking care of yourselves, staying healthy, taking care of your physical health, your spiritual health, your emotional health, following through on your hobbies and your goals and your dreams. And as always, continue to question the universe around you. Till next time, guys, take care and Lockdown Universe out.